promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 6 Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not punish me in your wrath. Have pity on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones quake in terror. My spirit quakes in awful terror. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death no one remembers you, and who will give you thanks in the grave? I grow weary because of my groaning. Every night I drench my pillow and flood my bed with tears. My eyes are wasted with grief and worn away because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be confounded and quake with fear. They shall turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Amen. Reading from Ezekiel chapter 40. In the twenty-fifth year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year after Jerusalem had been captured, on that very day, the Lord's hand was on me, and he brought me there. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. On its southern slope was a structure resembling a city. He brought me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze, and with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand, he was standing by the city gate. He spoke to me, Son of man, look with your eyes, listen with your ears, pay attention to everything I'm going to show you, for you have been brought here so that I might show to you, show it to you, report everything you see to the house of Israel. It's the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now I know that <clears throat> this chapter is actually 49 verses, but we're we're not going to read the whole thing. Uh, these next uh, few chapters from chapter basically 40 to uh, 47, we're going to be having a few selections, different selections that we'll, we'll look at that will encompass kind of the gist of what some of this talks about. Because we've entered now into the time in which Ezekiel is talking about the new temple. He's talking about this this temple that is to be built and it is it is to be the one that is that god's glory is going to return to Um, and there's controversy around this because this temple has never been built that uh the second temple that was built uh when uh, the jews returned from exile after 70 years uh with with i believe it was zerubbabel and, and joshua um, as they as they return and start to get building going, and then Haggai and and Zechariah's prophets help them to get much of it finished. Uh, it really they they use some selections from this description from Ezekiel, but not much. And I'm I'm reading through some of these commentators, Jewish commentators, and what a lot of them are saying is that the reason why the temple 
was not built according to the standard that Ezekiel brought in, uh, in part is because it doesn't resemble the temple that uh, that Solomon builds. There, there are quite uh, a lot of differences. Uh, but then also, there's this thinking, I guess, from the rabbinic tradition that the Jews who returned from exile, the Jewish leadership, was not uh, holy enough, was not righteous enough to be able to build this temple. That that this temple needed to have a special people in order to build it. And there's almost a sense, although I, I wasn't able to find it, but there is this sense that this temple is the temple that is going to exist uh, in the messianic age, at the end of time, when the Messiah returns or comes. Uh, and so how I want to read this with you, I don't want to sit here and go through and every single little detail of how thick walls are, how wide the gates are, all the different chambers, all these other things. What I'm wanting to do with this text is I want to try and look at it um, dare I say allegorically, how, how we could read this text and see how it's in, in many ways fulfilled in Christ and how Christ fits within it because uh, our, our tradition gives us a very different sense of where the temple should be in our belief structure versus some other way. So let's, let's go back here. And, and what we have is another vision that Ezekiel has. It's the year 572 BC. And he's brought uh, by God uh, back to Jerusalem in a vision, not physically, but in a, a vision. And what he sees in visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. On its southern slope was a structure resembling a city. And we read this and we go, okay, well, yeah. Uh, uh, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, it's on a mountain. That's kind of cool. But then when you start to go back and be thinking about other prophecies, so we go back to Isaiah chapter two, and we read this in light of this idea that he's been taken to a high mountain. And, and this is what we read. The vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the last days. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains, it says, and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it, and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Here, here we have Ezekiel brought to the land of Judah, taken to this high mountain, and it is uh, there that we're seeing basically the um, fulfillment of this prophecy by Isaiah, that somehow in this vision, outside of space and time, he's taken to this place in which at the end of days, uh, the mountains will be lowered and the one mountain, the holy mountain, Mount Zion, Mount Calvary, whatever mountain you want to call it, uh, is going to be lifted up above all the mountains. And there is going to be this house of the Lord and it's going to draw all people to it. And they're going to want to learn from the Lord, to know his ways to be close to him. So at the very beginning of this vision, as the story is unfolding of this building of this temple, 
what we need to be thinking about is the end of days, is the time in which God draws all people to himself, that his house, quote unquote, will be raised up above all others. And it will draw all people to it and people will desire to know him and to grow in, in their faith and love. And so he, he sees the city and, and this man, he, he's brought there to the city and he sees a man, whether it be an angel, whatnot. Uh, but uh, he, he had an appearance like bronze with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. He's there to measure things. And this is what he says to him. He says, look with your eyes. So pay attention to what you see. Listen with your ears. So have your ears open to hear what you're going to be told and pay attention pay attention to what is being told. It's not just enough to listen. It's to pay attention to it, to, to soak it in, pay attention to everything I'm going to show you for you've been brought here so that I might show it to you. And then you report it back. How, how could we not read this, um, to, to understand that this is this, not only this calling to us to try and figure out this whole temple thing, uh, which, uh, all the, a large percentage of the Jewish commentators say that it's this is a difficult section to understand, which is part of the reason why this temple has not been built. It's it's hard to to figure out. They say, um, which is why it has not taken place. You know, uh, Herod could have built it, but he didn't. He he built the temple the way he wanted it to be. Uh, but it, there's also this sense of this is how we should be every time we come together. Every time that we come together in church, Bible study, wherever, that we, we are to, to look with our eyes in, in the sense of looking at what's around us, seeing um, how life is going. What, what are we experiencing in the work of God in our midst? But then also having our ears opened so that the gospel, the word might penetrate us and then paying attention to it, having it be in front of us, being alert as Christ warns us to, to stay awake, be alert. And then we go back and we report, meaning what? We don't just soak it in and walk away. It's something for us to teach to the next generation and to our friends and our family and continue to tell of the goodness of the Lord. Well, after this, then we get a whole section dealing with the gates and the walls and all this stuff. And that, um, these are, these are thick walls. They're 10 and a half feet thick. That's thick. That is a really, really big wall. That it's this sense that this, this temple that is to be built is going to stand forever. That, and then there's four gates so that it's open to uh, every direction so that people from all directions shall stream to it, just like we read in Isaiah 2. But I, I read this thinking of the whole picture at the end of Revelation. Revelation 21. I want to go there really quick. We're probably going to be going back to Revelation 21 quite a few times, so you probably will want to keep your finger in there as well as here in, in Ezekiel 40. But um, here in Revelation, we have somewhat of a different picture, and I think this is why uh, this temple has not been built because our temple is a different temple. And we'll talk about that in a second. But Revelation 21 verses 3 through 6. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty for the spring of water of life. Here we have uh, this dwelling with God, this sense that uh, if we want to understand this temple at all, without thinking that it's some structure that we have to build, the allegorical picture of this is that this is something that's going to stand forever, that it's God's dwelling. That was the, that was the sense within the Old Testament, that the temple was where God had placed his name, where his glory dwelled, where, where God was going to um, be with his people. And who has come to be with his people, but Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. At this Christmas season, how are we not, this well, Advent season, uh, coming into Christmas, how are we not to see this as Christ coming to us, that he is one that stands forever? Because then let me read verses 22 and 23 for you. Because uh, this is the vision that, that John has in Revelation of, of the temple. So we're in chapter 21 of Revelation, uh, verses 22 and 23. He says this of the new Jerusalem. I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and, the lamp, and its lamp is the Lamb. So as we read through these next few chapters... Let's, let's play with it a little bit. Understand that Christ is our temple. Remember in John 2, he gets accused after cleansing the temple. And he says, you know, tear down this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And then the disciples remember after his resurrection that he's talking about the temple of his body, that Christ is our temple. Christ is where we go to find God dwelling among us, that he is God made flesh, God made manifest in our presence that every every reading of the temple we read here of this perfection of this temple that everything is the same with thick walls perfect gates adorned with palm trees um, and and all of this this gorgeous beautiful stuff it's all Christ standing forever being being glorious and and wonderful i i, I love jumping ahead in ezekiel 40 I just, I just want to touch on two other things. Um, well, maybe three other things. Uh, verses 38 through 43. There was a chamber whose door opened into the gate's portico. The burnt offering was to be washed there. Inside the gate's portico, there were two tables on each side on which to slaughter the burnt offering, sin offering, and guilt offering. Outside, as one approaches the entrance of the north gate, there were two tables on one side and two more tables on the other side of the gate's portico. So there were four tables inside the gate and four outside, eight tables in all on which the slaughtering was to be done. And they go into talking about the measurements of the table and, and all these other things. That there in this temple, this new temple, the obsession is, okay, there's going to be some sacrifices that need to be done. That, that we're going to continually have to do these sin offerings and, and guilt offerings and fellowship offerings and all the offerings according to the law of, of Moses, right? 
but no. Here, verse 27 of Revelation 21, I told you we'd come back here. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. What are, what are these sacri- What's this need for this cleansing or these sacrifices here in this temple in Ezekiel? Well, here is this continuous thing. Why? Because Christ is this continuous sacrifice for us. He's outside of space and time. He did it once and for all. That, that his sacrifice for us, his cleansing of us, his making us clean happened once and for all. And every time we sin, every time we break God's law or we harm one another, we turn away, we, we sit in unbelief with one another. Where do we go? It's not about us making right sacrifices. It's about Christ being that lamb, that sacrifice for us, that that God and Christ will be the temple, Revelation tells us. Well, here in Ezekiel, the reason why this temple hasn't ever been built and the sacrifices have not been reinstated and whatnot is because Christ is the sacrifice to win, to, to end every sacrifice. It is him, it's through him that we receive the washing of regeneration and the new birth. That it is that here when the, the, the picture is of these offerings and sacrifices needing to be cleansed and slaughtered, well, our lamb, our perfect spotless lamb, is forever always the one who was slaughtered on that cross. That it was 2,000 years ago that it happened and it is finished, he said. That there is no more need for you to flagellate yourself and give God a pound of flesh because you're scared that he might kill you. Instead, you cling to Jesus. You cling to his cross. And you know that it is in his cross, in, in his work for us, that we are made new daily. A daily death and resurrection. If you want to understand sacrifices at all here at the end of time in Ezekiel, we understand it from the point of view of the Christian life being one of daily death and resurrection. Daily remembrance of baptism. Well, the chapter ends with these spaces for the priests, that there is there is spaces for places in the in the temple for the leaders to be. That it is that here at the end, we're always going to need a preacher to come and speak to us of what it is that God has done for us because we need to be reminded of those things and that Christ is the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, the one who frees us from our sin. He forgives us of our sin all the time. Without the blood of goats or lambs, he does it with his own precious blood. And that we we need to understand that it's there in Christ. Him being the priest. Him being the sacrifice. Him being the altar. Him being the temple. That we don't need to be going and searching for the right temple, the right altar, the right sacrifice. Instead, we have that in Jesus. Let's pray. Stir up the wills of your faithful people, Lord God, and open our ears to the words of your prophets that anointed by your Spirit, we may testify to your light through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, church, I hope you have a blessed Christmas. We're going to have a special uh, edition of the podcast that will come out on Christmas Day. 
um, that will be an opportunity uh, to share the Christmas story. And, and then uh, we, uh, we will take uh, New Year's Day off uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but then we will be back together again, uh, digging into these texts some more in Ezekiel. As we come near the end of it, it's going to go a lot faster this time because uh, we will have, uh, we'll be able to gl- gloss over some stuff uh, that's just sort of, it's here or there, but there's other parts that are just so meaningful and beautiful that we'll want to dig into. But Merry Christmas, go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.